0: One,
1: two, three. The following is the full uncut conversation from our episode, Organizing for Ceasefire Through Policy and Protest. Meet the people of Jewish Voice for Peace, JVP, and New York Assembly Member Zoran K. Mamdani. You'll hear firsthand from members of JVP more details on the many JVP actions that have taken place thus far in response to the Israeli Hamas war and the impact these experiences have had on them as activists. They go into greater detail highlighting the need for humanizing Palestinians, the power of the purse and the pulpit, and the potential for change. And they also discuss the importance of mass movement organizations in shaping political conscience and the need for political pressure to prevent further massacres.
0: You've probably seen them in protests since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, out there in their black shirts with white writing in Grand Central Station, or at the Statue of Liberty in New York, at the Capitol in Washington, D.C., on the highways of Durham, North Carolina, or even at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. You've probably seen them in protest, but have you asked yourself who the people are behind Jewish Voice for Peace, or JVP, the largest progressive Jewish-led pro-Palestinian and anti-Zionist organization in the world. The Grand Central Station sit-in made history as the largest act of civil disobedience in New York City since the Iraq War. What attracted so many Jewish-identified Americans of so many generations to that action And these others besides. Not so long ago in the studios of CUNY TV, I had a chance to talk with two JVP members, Roz Pachewski, Rosalind, professor, veteran political scientist, and leading theorist on international reproductive rights and justice, and Jay Saper, an artist and Yiddish translator, about their motivations for taking action today. And we were joined in that conversation by a assembly member, New York assembly member, Zoran Mamdani, a Muslim, a democratic socialist, and the first South Asian man in the New York State Assembly. Long before October 7th, Mamdani, who represents the Astoria, Queens part of New York, introduced the Not on Our Dime bill that would make it illegal for New York state registered charities to fund organizations that support Israeli settlements. The problems at the root of the death and dying today go back decades, my guests say, even generations. Can policy like this and protests like these work together to bring about ceasefire first and an equitable future going forward for all? Well, here we are. And I just have to say I am with three extraordinary people. Roz, I have known you for so long. Decades. So happy to have you here. (laughs) Jay, thank you so much for being here. It's just great. Assemblyman, honestly, truly, it's it's an honor to have all of you. We often start our conversations by simply sort of settling ourselves and settling ourselves by sharing who is uppermost in our minds, on our hearts. Um, Starting with you, Assemblyman, who are you thinking about as we begin this conversation?
2: You know, I'm thinking of a man by the name of Hani. He works at UNARWA, the UN Refugee Works Association, which provides care for Palestinians that have been displaced. I think of him because many, many months ago, I had been in communication with him about setting up a soccer tournament in Astoria, where we would raise funds for displaced Palestinians. We didn't know then the devastation that was to come. And the other day, there was an image that the Israeli military circulated of hundreds of men stripped of their clothes, kneeling, hands tied, and it was eerily reminiscent to me of Abu Ghraib. Mm. And the Israeli military said that these were all Hamas terrorists. And I saw Hani comment that one of those men were his brother, (sighs) that he was a shopkeeper, and he could see him in the line. And it was by chance that I knew this one Palestinian man, and through that one relationship, I got to see the truth of an image that was being shown to the world as justification for destruction, when in fact it is the desecration of a place and of a people. So I think of honey.
0: What about you, Jay?
3: Who's on your mind? Ahmed Abu Atema is on my mind, a writer and activist in Gaza who led the historic 2018. Great March of Return, returning every single week for more than a year, demonstrating the Palestinians' right to return to their home. In 2019, I helped to bring Ahmed Abu Ratemma here to New York City to share his story with the world. I was arrested during the Great March of Return just a few blocks from here at Senator Schumer's office calling on him to condemn the Israeli violence to these Palestinian protesters. An Israeli airstrike hit Ahmed Abu Artema's home, killing members of his family, including his son. And he was also severely injured.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so Ahmed and all of the people of Gaza are, are on my mind and my heart right now.
0: What about you, Ross?
4: Well, always in my heart from the beginning of this and long before is Mohammed Rafiq Mohalesh. Mohammed is, I've never met Mohammed in person, only online, but I love him so much. He, I met Mohammed through a virtual tour of Gaza that Eyewitness Palestine sponsored. And since I had been one of their delegates, you know, gone on a trip with them, I saw him in, I heard his story, he was then, he had worked with We Are Not Numbers, and he had written a story for We Are Not Numbers. Um, And it was so beautiful, and his way of leading us through Gaza, the happy Gaza, the beautiful Gaza, he said, here are the fruits and vegetables, here are the elders, here are the children playing soccer. I was so enthralled. He wanted to see the joyful Gaza, Mm. and then we invited him to contribute to our book, A Land with. A Land with a People, the book that Sarah Sills and Esther Farmer and I co-edited, and he wrote a beautiful story for it. And then he participated in us, uh, with us in a lot of launches and events for the book, and we just became close friends. Mohammed has been through a lot since then. Mohammed is from Gaza City. Mohammed got married, he had a baby. He cut to the present. Muhammad wrote a dispatch for Al Jazeera last week, the week before, saying that he and his wife and his two-year-old and his aging parents and his entire extended family were hunkered in a building that is being bombed. He couldn't go out to get his parents' medication because there were no pharmacies left, because the pharmacies had been bombed. Um, There was no water. He was feeding the two-year-old dried powdered milk and cereal and the two-year-old's lips were all dry. And he said, maybe the best we hope is that we won't be conscious when we die. Or maybe there aren't words, there aren't words. And I don't know if Muhammad and his family are alive at this moment or not, I don't know. But his teacher was no doubt, what's his name, the poet? Rafat. Rafat, the great Palestinian poet who edited two books, one of which is um, writing Palestine, writing for Gaza. Instead of fighting for Gaza, writing for Gaza. He was killed this week with his members of his family. And I have no doubt that he was Mohammed's professor.
0: Um So I link them both. Well, and I'll only lift up the name of Vivian Silva, who I know worked for her whole life um, for peace and justice for all Palestinians and Israeli Jews and Israelis, and who didn't live to see it, and who I think of also in this moment, um, along with so many others who had a vision of justice coming eventually if they fought hard enough, and they didn't live to see it. You are all fighting for, well, you're going to tell me what you're fighting for, what your goals are. But I just have to acknowledge that you have spared the time to come here today from a busy schedule. It's extraordinary to see what Jewish Voice for Peace, what the legislative uh, initiatives have come in this time and I don't want to spend a lot of time with each of your biographies, but if there was one thing you thought was important for people to know about you, you've shared a little bit about who you are thinking about, um, what would it be? Jay, if there was one thing you needed people to know about you, what would
3: it be? That I so love my Jewish identity and deeply connected to my grandmother's language of Yiddish and am so inspired by my family's legacy of understanding our Jewish identity as a commitment to social justice and to carry that legacy forward. My aunt grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Her synagogue was bombed during the Jim Crow era because of her rabbi's commitment to support the black freedom struggle. And she continued to stand up to support racial justice in face of great violence. And I learned from her that my Jewish identity means taking action to bring about a better world. It means carrying forward a commitment Mm -hmm. to justice.
0: And what about you, Roz?
4: So much one could say. Oh my gosh. Especially if you're 81 (laughs) and you're older than the state of Israel. (laughs) I, I have to speak in dialogue with Jay, my dear friend. And sibling. Because my story is quite different. You know, I grew up in a very um, observant Jewish family in Oklahoma, and I was a teenager during the Civil Rights Movement, and I became very involved with the Civil Rights Movement. And when I went to Israel at the age of 16, I witnessed racism. And I was so angry and so disillusioned that I turned away from Judaism for many years, many years. And only now, through JVP, through the young people of Jewish Voice for Peace, I'm rediscovering my connection and my identity as Jewish. I wouldn't have embraced it as much, Mm -hmm. but people like Jay have helped me. Jay has helped me rediscover my grandmother's origins. Jay has led me to all kinds of sources in my research about this little town in now Belarus, but on the border between Russia and Poland. And I want to do a work on pogroms. So I'm very grateful to Jewish Voice for Peace for its brilliant politics and organizing skills,
0: but also for its Jewish identity. Mm -hmm. And Toran, your story is very different. I'm curious to know what you think is the most important thing to lift up. Is it that you're the first South Asian member of the assembly? Asian man.
2: I think for me, it would be that I grew up at the age of five. I moved to Cape Town in South Africa. I lived there until I was seven before we moved to New York City. And it was right after the fall of apartheid. And I always remember the words of Nelson Mandela saying that, we know all too well that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of Palestinians. And then getting to New York City and getting to the United States and being met with a completely different understanding and approach to the question of Palestinian human rights. And what has driven me for so long on this question is that this is the point of contradiction. This is the point of exception when it comes to seemingly universal values. And whereas the rest of the world sees it as such, this country for so long has not even recognized the absence of its application of those rights to Palestinians. And I should say you're a Muslim.
0: Yes, I am. How have you connected with JVP? What what is the connection
2: as you see it in in practice? The, The connection has been in the willingness to fully apply those ideals and the understanding that it is through our application of these beliefs to Palestinians that we finally live up to what those ideals are supposed to represent. And it is a beautiful illustration of how Judaism and Zionism are not the same thing. One is a religion, the other is a political movement. One has lasted for far longer than the other. And yet we are told time and again these lies as an attempt to justify and shield the state of Israel from any kind of critique. And it is what JVP does, what If Not Now does, what so many Jewish leftists do in this country and across the world is to make the truth known.
0: It's should be known by everybody, but if not, I'll say it, that the activism of JVP and of all of you began long before the Hamas attack of October 7th. Uh, in fact, you all got arrested, I think, together, as I understand it, at um, Schumer's house, Chuck Schumer's house, after actions that had happened in the, in the West Bank, um, mm-hmm. at the settlements. In all of the demonstrations that you have been part of, is there one experience that you want to share? Is there one action that you're particularly proud of, um, that stands out? You've done so many and so many relentlessly.
2: I remember there was a JVP protest at Grand Army Plaza. This was a few years ago. Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. And I remember being there alongside State Senator Jabari Brisport and the two of us spoke. And after I spoke, I met with so many of the mothers of children I went to middle school with. (laughs) And it was such a beautiful, full-circle moment for me to reconnect with people that helped to raise me and people whose politics I never knew and seeing them here present in this moment. And I think for so long, you know, I connect to what Jay was saying about the importance of Jewish identity. I grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood and it was very much a part of my childhood. I grew up in Morningside Heights and there is this fear because of the constant drumbeat about the supposed inseparable nature of a religion and a political movement, that if you are to critique one, you must leave the other behind. And in that moment, seeing all of these aunties that had helped to raise me, these aunties who I knew from bar mitzvahs and from playdates and from afternoons in the park, seeing them there showed me that some of the things that we fear, they are they do not have to be the case. And Jay Roz, I don't know, is it, was it the Statue of Liberty takeover? Was it
0: Central? I mean, the images people have seen around the country of what you all done doesn't probably reflect what it's like to
3: be there in the inside.
0: I wouldn't hear what you
3: <laughs> <laughs> Jay. So, as you noted, we've been organizing together for years and building and deepening our relationships and trust has allowed us to meet this moment in the way that we must. This didn't just happen yesterday. That's right. And I feel so fortunate to be able to take action in community with Jewish Voice for Peace. And what rises to my mind is when we completely shut down the world's largest train station during rush hour traffic, New York's iconic, Grand Central Terminal, the biggest train station in the world, thousands of us pouring into the Great Hall, thousands pouring into the streets of Midtown Manhattan, hundreds getting arrested, including Roz right here, who was part of the largest civil disobedience New York City has seen in two decades. We saw that spread around the world. We saw sit-ins in the wake of that, in train stations, all over the world, people seeing that our voices matter, that the people of Gaza are not alone, will not be forgotten, and that we are going to keep raising our voices to do everything that we can to say, not in our name. Roz?
4: Well, I, I have to go to the Grand Central Station to. I have to because that to me was the most electrifying. But I have a little bit, of, Jay and I would say about a dozen or 15 other young people who are to me geniuses really made this happen. Really you have to understand the, the bones of an event like that. It doesn't just happen. It happens because so much work. Yeah. So for me the thrill was double. First, I organized all these old people, Jewish elders. I had, a, We have an affinity group of Jewish elders, and the Jewish elders were like nervous, and then we were in this place, and they would, the hotel next door, and they were chasing us out, and we were going, and there were the police, and I thought, oh my God, the Jewish elders are like cats, are just scattering all over the place. Then we, they came back together, and we came in, and double, I said double. Number one, I just thought, I'm gonna just, there's this, what do you call it in the back, the, where you go up the stairs? It's mm-hmm. almost like a balcony. It's like a balcony, because we had these rabbis and organizers up on the balcony. And I thought, I'm just going to walk up a few steps and turn around. And I walked up a few because I was supposed to sit down on the floor, and I was, walked up a few steps. I turned around, and there were thousands of people. I thought, oh, my God, look at this. We did this. This is amazing. This is amazing. I was, it was, I'll never forget that moment. And then I sat down, and as I was sitting down, oh, there's Elena doing over here, there's Jay going like this, there's Eliza talking to media, there's this one. And I said, "Those are my people, they did this, all this work, they're doing it now, they're orchestrating it, they're thinking of every detail, they're amazing. One person in our elders group said, If there's a Nobel Prize for organizing, it should go to J.D.B.
1: For more episodes on the Israeli-Hamas war, check out in our archives Media, Storytelling, and the Israel-Hamas War, a journalist's perspective, by going to lauraflanders.org.
0: So we've had a little of the who and a little bit of the what. Let's talk about the why. Um, Let's not lose track of why you are being as active and doing as many extraordinary things as you are. What's the goal? Roz, if you were to say what's the goal of what you are all engaged in, what is it?
4: Well, the goal is,
0: I mean, certainly liberation of
4: Palestine. But beyond that, the goal is a world in which justice matters, not just for us, but for all people. And when we start to feel the connection, deep connection between us and others who were always divided from us. So I consider it a a really rare privilege and a beautiful thing in my life that I have so many Palestinian friends, African-American friends, African-American partner. So why wouldn't everybody rejoice in that kind of bond. Humanity, that's, I think, the
0: goal. Humanity as a whole,
4: that's how Malcolm X put it.
0: And when we say, when, when, the, when you say liberation for Palestine, what does that mean for
3: you, Jay? Well, right now, we need the bombs to stop. We need to stop the bombing of the Palestinian people of Gaza. We'd like all the bombing to stop, to be clear. All of the bombing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is supported by billions of dollars in U.S. military funding to Israel. So we need to stop the bombing. We need to stop billions of dollars flowing to the Israeli military from the U.S. government and support the people of Palestine in living with the full freedom and dignity that they deserve.
0: You have been involved in legislation to address some of this. Going back again before October 7th, can you tell us about the Not on Our Dime bill and where it came from and Did it immediately occur to you that there was something a a state assembly
2: person could do to address this question? You know, the the legislation would make it illegal for New York state registered charities to fund Israeli settler organizations. And this is legislation that, quite frankly, should not be needed because Israeli settlements are illegal under international law. Just to make sure everybody in the audience knows what a settlement is, it sounds so benign. Yes, so a settlement is not benign at all. A settlement is an illegal outpost beyond the internationally recognized borders of Israel. And it is the annexation of land from Palestinians, something that now there are more than 750,000 settlers, so many settlements such that there is not actually a single contiguous piece of land that could function as the second state in a two-state solution. What is so frustrating about the politics of Israel and Palestine is that the reality is separate from the politics as discussed here, where you have politicians who trot out talking points that were created two decades ago that have no actual relationship to the facts on the ground. And you know, we, we have a reality in New York State where the laws that exist should already prohibit any charity funding violence. It is against the common sense at the very least of any person to think that violence should be tax deductible. But when it comes to Israel, we've seen time and again at the national level, at the local level, unless you are explicit, then the law will not be applied. And so this legislation was introduced, I introduced it myself in the assembly, State Senator Jabari Brisport introduced it in the Senate and we introduced it because a number of organizers and organizations such as Jewish Voice for Peace, such as the Adala Justice Project, the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, and so many others informed us of the fact that in New York state, there is more than $60 million a year that is sent from our state tax deductible to Israeli settler organizations. And those organizations use that money to facilitate the harassment, displacement, and murder of Palestinians. And in this moment, so often when you're at a protest, you'll hear the words, free Palestine. And you may think, why not simply free Gaza? And the truth is that the Palestinian experience across all of Palestine is an experience of harassment, displacement, and violence. And it's in since October 7th, we've seen hundreds of Palestinians be murdered by the Israeli military as well as settlers. And that those murders in the West Bank, those are murders that are being assisted by the money that we are sending there as New Yorkers. So this should be self-evident. It is not. And so we've introduced this legislation to rectify this.
0: Is there a place for non-Jewish people in JVP, Jay?
2: Absolutely. While we're
3: inspired by Jewish tradition, we always welcome everyone who's committed to the principles that Zoran has described of taking action for justice to join us. And we're also so grateful to get to partner with so many other organizations who are taking action as well that were mentioned.
0: And what do you say to people that say you sort of are are acting as if you're speaking for all Jews, but you're really not, and maybe you're even increasing anti-Semitism?
3: Isn't that what Israel does?
0: Well, feel free to answer, either one of you.
3: So, we are so deeply proud of our Jewish identity, deeply rooted in our Jewish identity. Before we shut down Grand Central Terminal, we staged one of the largest sit-ins ever at Congress. Over 300 of us got arrested there. 22 of them were rabbis. Rabbis were leading the program, leading us in songs and leading us in chants rooted in our ritual and saying that our tradition inspires us to take action for justice. That was the largest mass arrest of rabbis for civil disobedience in U.S. history, even more than the 16 arrested with Dr. King in St. Augustine. So we love our Jewish identity and we are deeply committed to ending anti-Semitism. Uh, last summer, a 19-year-old Nazi was indicted for planning to carry out a mass shooting at my home synagogue, Congregation Charizetik in East Lansing, Michigan, where I had my be mitzvah, where my grandparents had their funerals, where I still attend when I visit my family who still live there. He was planning that mass shooting on the fifth anniversary of the Christchurch massacre at the mosques in New Zealand right. and had also praised the shooter of the black grocery shoppers in Buffalo. So the threat to my own synagogue makes so clear that anti Semitism needs to be confronted by challenging all forms of white supremacy, by speaking out against Islamophobia, by taking action against anti-black racism, committing to a world where we build safety through solidarity.
0: Beautiful knitting of things together. Roz, do you want to add anything? Well, first of all, JVP
4: has many members who are not Jewish. Um, so. We're not an exclusive club. Um but the question of safety through solidarity, the question of linking anti Semitism to white supremacy of all kinds, and that includes Islamophobia, that includes anti Arab racism, if we don't do that, we're all dead. We it's 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 not just safety, it's survival. And actually, I mean just think about that march, you know. Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville, Virginia. They made it very clear. The right wing and the homegrown Nazis have made it very clear. We are all their enemies and the ones they want to stamp out.
0: There's a gender aspect, of course, to white supremacy too. And you've talked about feminism being at the heart of what you do, as always as an academic, as an activist, but also in this moment, the. Feminist analysis being brought to bear is important to you. We talked about Vivian Silver, Women for Peace, Vivian Israeli Silver activist. was amazing.
4: She's an icon for me, too. She actually helped ferry Palestinian children from Gaza to hospitals in Israel. She worked with Gazans. She was a cross-border social justice activist. It's horrible that she was killed, and we don't know for sure, whose bombs killed her. And And so where do you see feminism in this moment? uh, First of all, to me, genocide is a form of reproductive injustice. It means the extirpation, the annihilation of a whole people's ability to reproduce. And I think we should think of genocide that way. We should also understand that Israeli oppression um, of Palestinians has involved every level of population control. So, I mean, from Ben-Gurion on, the idea of a demographic war was central to Zionism. It meant we need to reproduce more than they do. It meant cutting off the ability of pregnant women to get to hospitals, um, you know, keeping them at checkpoints. It meant ignoring their reproductive health. It meant, you know, well, shutting up so many men in prison, women too, that they could not be free to have families. So I see, you know, Israeli Zionism, Israeli persecution of Palestinians, as an enormous form of reproductive injustice and
0: attack on families. Mm. So while we're talking about supremacist thinking and racism and and, and sexism, I want to come back to you, Assemblyman, speaking as a Muslim. What have you seen in the contrast between the way that some of the pro-Palestinian Muslim-led demonstrations have been policed versus some of the um, JVP protests? And, And is that something that struck
2: you, that we still have an imbalance there? very much so. There is a literal application of that question in that we have seen the police attack a number of demonstrators at a number of Muslim-led protests around the city and there is a consistent rhetoric of demonization coming from politicians at every level of government in characterizing those who take to the streets for freedom as worthy of receiving violence from the state. And it is immensely concerning, especially as one of the few Muslim elected officials in the state, someone who represents Steinway Street in Astoria, which is where Mayor Bloomberg's demographics unit was at its peak. This was a unit within the NYPD that Mayor Bloomberg created to surveil Muslims illegally. After 9-11? Yes, and these were officers who would spend time in barbershops, in cafes, in travel agencies. They would go to Astoria Park and write down how often Muslims played soccer. We know what the post-9-11 surveillance apparatus looked like, and we are living through an echo of it in this moment where police are using drones to capture as many Identities as possible of those who are taking part in these protests.
1: For more conversations centered around the Israeli Hamas war, check out our episode in our archives Israel, Hamas, and Universal Human Rights with former UN official Craig Mokiber, where he shares the path forward.
0: So, we're sitting here very politely, and thank you for that, Um, but I feel like there's a a war outside Mm -hmm. and there's a very large change that you are calling for. You're calling for a new lens to be applied to what is happening in Israel-Palestine. You're calling for a rhetorical shift. In some ways, you're affecting a rhetorical shift, and I'd like you to talk about that, Um, but speak to the audience that feels this is your struggle perhaps it's not theirs. We've gotten a taste of how the, 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 the you is very big, but um, where do you see this going? Who do you need to join you? Who, do, who are your biggest obstacles, perhaps? Who do you want to address, Ross? The
4: militarists, going back to feminism. There's a reason why so many women's groups around the world, women in black, women in, in, in international peace and freedom, uh, women's groups have always said strongly war is never an answer. War will only lead to more war and more violence. Rape is an intrinsic part of war. Women suffer sexual violence and so do men, thinking of Abu Ghraib. Sexual violence, rape is an intrinsic part of war. If, you know making it possible for people to, to live. I would say to people in this country, let's just say the US, think about your tax money. Yeah. Think about how much of your tax money is going to the weapons of war, to destroying other people. Is that what you want your tax money to do instead of, I mean, Martin Luther King said it in during Vietnam, like a vacuum sucking up all the resources for education and health. Infrastructure. Stop
0: war. Sounds trite, but it's true. Jay, is there someone you want to address here that isn't part of your movement yet that you'd like to be or that you feel doesn't understand what you're
3: doing? Well, What we understand and what we know is so important to address is that the root of violence is oppression. And we have to understand that 75 years ago, 750,000 Palestinians were forcibly displaced from their homes during the Nakba. They've been subjected to an apartheid government ever since. And so we know that we have to speak out, that we have to take action, that nobody can be free until Palestinians are free, until everybody is free, until we address the root causes of violence, until we address the 75 years of oppression.
0: And coming back to you, Assemblyman, what's your sense of your role as a politician, as an elected, and what would be your message perhaps to other electeds about what their role could be in this moment?
2: My role and the role of many politicians in this country is to make clear that your language and policy with regards to Palestinians and Israelis is inextricable from the realities faced by individuals across this country. When you have individuals such as President Joe Biden casting doubt on the truth of Palestinians even in their death count, when there is a broad attempt at characterizing Palestinians as subhuman or as all members of a terrorist group that should be exterminated, you create the conditions that justify anti-Palestinian racism across this country and you cannot then be surprised when you see six-year-old Wadiya be killed in Illinois when you see three Palestinian students be shot in Burlington with one of them being paralyzed for the rest of his life. These are the realities of what we think of as something far away. And what I would also say is we cannot afford as Americans to think of this as a problem that is not ours unless personally connected to it. This is not a religious issue. This is an issue about power and oppression. And we must know that in this moment, when we have a mayor here in New York City saying that we don't have enough money to have library service on Sundays or trash cans at the ends of our streets or any money for basic, basic you know, provisions for New Yorkers, how is it that we then have enough money to send $3.8 billion in annual military funding or an additional $14 billion that President Biden is requesting for the Israeli military? There is enough money for our basic needs, but it's being spent on the decimation of a people. And as Americans, we must know that whenever our needs are denied, it's because there is something else that is being funded.
0: So in terms of the tools that are at the hands of assembly people or electeds or state senators, I'm hearing the power of the purse. Mm
2: -hmm. Anything else? There's the power of the purse and the power of the pulpit. Mm -hmm. You know, it is our job to humanize every single person. And yet what we see is an attempt at every juncture to dehumanize Palestinians. I serve in the state legislature. The governor, Governor Kathy Hochul, when asked what she would say to Palestinian Americans concerned for the safety of their loved ones in Gaza, the first words she had to say was, I call on law-abiding Palestinians to condemn Hamas. What does that indicate of her views of the humanity of Palestinians if the first impulse is to use them as a political cudgel?
0: You obviously have a good working relationship. We won't go into the details of it, but is there advice that you have for an effective kind of inside-outside strategy between activists and and electeds? Um, From your point of view, is it helpful when people show up at your office? Is it uh, what is
2: helpful, perhaps what isn't? I think it's immensely helpful. I would never have introduced legislation that I'm so proud to be associated with were it not for the efforts of activists and organizations like JVP. And I think... The truth of the the matter is that we cannot look for a conscience in politics and politicians. We have to find it in mass movement organizations, and it is that conscience, that compass that keeps myself and so many others on the right path.
0: I have just two last questions. And one of them has to do with you, Roz. I mean, you mentioned in a speech not so long ago that you felt like you were a time traveler, uh, you know, and and you described being part of sit-ins against the Vietnam War. And that reminded me at Columbia, and that reminded me of sit-ins that I participated in against apartheid in South Africa. And I think it's important that we end by saying that change is possible, that we've seen it in our lifetime. you've seen it in lots of places in your lifetime. True. Do you think you'll see change here in your lifetime? Well, I, I you? Yes. Well, thank you. I won't. But
4: um, I've seen lots and lots of change, some good, some bad. But what encourages me now is that conversation about Palestine and talk about Palestine and even the beginnings of the humanization that Zoran was talking about is really beginning. We really see much, much more awareness. that was never. People weren't even talking about it. It wasn't in the public arena as much as now. And I think that opens the way and having people in, I mean, they're a minority still, but people like Zoran in New York state politics and people, you know, people like Corey Bush and Rashida Taib from Michigan. And these, these are great, great, wonderful allies of Jewish Voice for Peace. I don't think we could do our work without them. And that inside, outside thing makes us, we're so grateful to be
0: able to have conversations yeah. with And we people. Trade unions get involved more than they did before. Um, how would you imagine the story will be that the future tells of now? That's our usual closing question. What do you think will be the story the future tells of this moment? Jay?
3: The politicians who have exacerbated and fueled the bombing of the Palestinian people of Gaza will not be forgotten, but also what will be remembered is everyday people around the world taking to the streets, raising our voices, refusing to accept what we are witnessing a genocide unfold in real time, that people put their bodies on the line, took risks, that we did everything we could because we must do everything we can to try to stop the bombing of Gaza.
0: Assemblyman?
2: I hope that this time will be remembered as one where people picked courage over cowardice and people picked conviction and for a long time it was conviction over calculus but I think the calculus itself may be changing in this moment. The amount of people I've seen on the streets, the fact that a call to value Palestinian lives and call for a ceasefire is the majority position in this country is sadly a remarkable development in the history of this country's relationship with Palestinians. And I think it speaks to the fact that there is a broad chasm between public sentiment and political convention. And I hope that this is the time that we look back as when we created the bridge between the two and we started to see that reflection in the chambers of power.
0: And sadly,
2: because it has taken such a slaughter. It is, it is heartbreaking that still the most powerful tool we have in changing American public sentiment with regards to Palestinians is the mass murder of Palestinians. It should not take this to recognize the humanity of a people, but there are so many more Palestinians that we still must save. And we must never lose sight of the fact that every day there is another life that we can save and we can save that life through creating political pressure on the institutions and the individuals who have facilitated this massacre.
0: The massacre of the Palestinians, also the Israeli dead in the Hamas attack have brought forth Israeli voices Mm -hmm. for peace and justice that I haven't heard, um, at least in our U.S. media, as
2: loudly or as
0: often before.
2: You know, I, I, I have looked often to the families of the hostages for this call for humanity because it is them that created the slogan, everyone for everyone, that we exchange the hostages for the political prisoners. And it speaks to this shared vision of humanity. And what is so frustrating is in this country, the hostages are used as a justification to continue the bombing. Whereas in Israel, the hostages speak loudly and clearly, their families do, about the necessity of stopping the bombing to save those lives.
0: Mm.
4: Raz, your vision the of destroying the, the future? Yeah. Well, I, I actually think I, what resonates with me is many young activists saying, this is our anti war movement. Oh, yeah. This is our anti-war movement. And, you know, I mean, the concept of martyrdom is, you know, resonates with Palestinians. I don't always like it so much, but Palestine has become a martyr to peace and a martyr to a sense of humanity. And maybe what will happen in the future is people will remember Palestine and Palestinians as the ones who made possible a new vision of justice across all borders and peace and humanity as something that we can actually concretely
2: imagine. And it is our job to ensure that Palestinians are alive to see that. Yes, so, so.
4: absolutely. So we will do everything and we are putting our bodies on the
0: line. We are doing it. Roz Pacheski, Jay Saper. Assemblyman Mdani, thank you so much, all of you, for being here. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Laura. Thank you.
1: These full UNCA conversations are made possible thanks to our member supporters. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the full conversation from our episode, Organizing for Ceasefire Through Policy and Protest, Meet the People of Jewish Voice for Peace, JVP, and New York Assemblymember Zoran K. Mdani. You'll find more information on all of our guests included in our episode notes posted and available for everyone at patreon.com forward slash the LF show. You can follow us there or become a member. We are an independent media organization that is dependent on our member supporters. Please consider making that support monthly for a few dollars. Go to patreon.com forward slash The LF Show.